0: howdy folks this is scott parker and you're listening to another episode of keep the dream flowing a woodstock 1969 podcast and who we have on the line today is a man that we've looked forward to talking to for a very long time and uh he's just an amazing musician and uh of course he played at woodstock with arlo guthrie did so much more and um he's just you know it's incredible to talk to him bob arkin ladies and gentlemen yes
1: i'd appreciate it (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh yeah, yeah but you'll you'll go back up in value after you hang up with us everybody depreciates <laughs> when we're on the air but then they go up after that's right you survived no. it, and so
2: <laughs> everybody well, gets a little everybody gets a little bump
0: yep yeah well
1: so how are you son? volume
3: is the name of the game these days volume true
2: well we have listeners
3: yeah and they all have the best seat in the house they do. <laughs> yeah, they
0: don't have to leave home.
3: <laughs> yeah. Don't even have to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, not all of them have the best seat. Some of them monopolized it. That, yeah. that is true. That's and, true. And, just, the, and,
2: and just like in Woodstock, some, of, some <laughs> of them are naked listening to this.
3: Yeah. So Clothes. Oh, I I didn't see much of that. I was separated from the orgies. (laughs) I I saw Uh, a lot of rain. Okay. I didn't see much of anything. I didn't hear much of anything, including when we were playing, but I did manage to hear Ravi Shankar and his tabla player warm up in a dirt road before everything started. Really? And I was about 10 feet away from him, and uh, it's still like one of my most treasured memories because they were on fire. Wow. yeah,
0: you know it's it's funny because we've talked to a few people who played on the Friday night when you guys did, and like Gilles Malkin and um, Maruga Booker and people like that. And a number of people remember Ravi Shankar and that they sometimes remember that better than their own sets
3: that they played. Well, that's certainly true of me. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Particularly (laughs) considering how that set set went. went. And that's the forgetfulness is very merciful. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You you
2: guys didn't have a good set
3: that night? No, no. uh, Arlo drank about seven bottles of champagne before he went on. And (laughs) he was so incoherent that nobody in the band could find one for the whole 45 minutes or however long it was
4: yeah really it was
3: actually the worst set i ever played in my entire life oh wow. really wow and that includes 60 years of uh playing
4: uh, now yeah
3: i can't believe it including 20 years at cleopatra's needle where i yeah the an open it was an open mic for singers. I had the, the
2: on Sunday the, on Sunday uh, afternoons. Yeah.
3: You
4: you Sunday were part of the house. Band. Yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah, I had a duty to accompany some of the best singers I ever heard and a, a lot of the worst singers I
1: ever heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> open mic yeah that that's where I met you, Bob, in two thousand Yeah, Cleopatra's. And that, yeah, I, I, was, I, mean, that place.
2: I, I was there two or three times.
1: Yeah. It was a nice place.
3: Thank you so much. They could use the business, but you should have come four times because they closed down since then.
2: Well, I couldn't get there because of the pandemic, which is probably why they closed down.
3: Yeah, that's probably why they closed down. Actually, speaking of the devil,
1: yep. they just oh, they just closed it down like in the last year or two.
4: Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Maybe a year and a half. Actually. Right. Yeah. Some something like that. And you uh, you well, did I that. think the land. I think the landlord was giving him trouble also. Yeah. Anyway. I think well, he might have closed down a week or so before the pandemic hit, actually. Yeah. He had good timing.
0: <laughs> well so, everybody so so he didn't know that the pandemic was, you know, coming. He just he was closing anyway
3: or, or well, I you can't vouch for it, but that might be the case. I wouldn't hmm. take my life on it, but looking backwards with my faulty memory, that's kind of how I remember it.
2: Or, or the landlord could have started the pandemic just to close the place
3: down. <laughs> <laughs> that, that yes. I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah.
2: No, it's, it's kind of like the old joke about these two Jewish m- businessmen from New York meet on the beach in Miami and one of them says to the other Morty how are you what's going on he's like I'm good Saul but uh, you know as you know I had the business and we of course the business caught fire I got the insurance money and retired down to Florida how about you Uh he's like well I got a similar story I had the business we had a flood I got the insurance money we came down to Florida flood how do you start a flood (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
5: <laughs> <Aww. Yeah. laughs> that's Man. a good one.
4: Yeah, <laughs>
3: that's pretty good. I think they call they call that Jewish lightning. I hate to perpetuate. No, that's exactly
2: that, That's exactly what they
0: call it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was going
2: to
3: say yeah. that's the
0: that's the you know starting the pandemic to close uh, Cleopatra's <laughs> Needle is the modern yeah. equivalent of burning down the place for the insurance money. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yep. <laughs> so if we could go back, Bob, to the beginning, you started playing the accordion, correct? When you were young, yeah. Well, how
3: did you? That must be the work of my website. My new uh, on the is. website it it is, it is. Bobarkin Yes. So you started is it still out. On? I it's tried still the on. Texas. Yeah. Yeah, it's still on. Oh, mm-hmm. thank you so much. Yeah. It, it was it was done with the help of a very good film director yeah. of documentaries by the name of Luis Cadia Barca from Peru. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah, so you started playing the accordion. Can you tell us about that? Well,
3: after three years of going to lessons, uh, I couldn't read a note I used to go to the lesson, and the piano. The, the teacher was restrained; he didn't yell at me or anything. But yeah. he would put my fingers where they were supposed to go. I, I think if I, if it had been earlier, later in life, I think uh, I mean er, more contemporary uh, concepts were if if they were floating around at that time, they would For have sure. diagnosed me with attention deficit disorder. But. Uh, I started figuring out chords on it and singing uh, folk songs and and discarding the buttons on the left hand and figuring out changes to the folk songs. And stuff seems to have stuck in my ear from that because I remember I could hear a seventh in my mind because it was ingrained in the uh, tunes that uh, I I was... memorizing, but could not read. And then it, 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 was, it seemed like a total waste. My father used to run up and down the stairs throwing tantrums, screaming, i i pay $2 a week for those accordion re- lessons and 50 cents a week to rent an accordion, and he never practices. And uh, yeah. Somehow it wasn't a waste, though, because I think some concepts stuck in my mind from it.
4: Uh, yeah
3: then i finally learned to read when i started playing the cello later on yeah learned to read in bass clef and i think from those early days i still had a mental block about treble clef but i'm starting to get fluent in that from all the writing i've done
4: yeah
2: well after 60 years of playing music you get fluent in it after a while That's what
3: they say. I think think I'll consider it as a career, maybe someday. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) And then you have to become a celebrity first, though. Well, you're one of the. I think I'm going to celebrity school.
1: You're definitely a celebrity to us. I can tell you that. Oh, really? Thank you so
3: much. Absolutely. Well, if
1: that's the case, let's have a celebration.
3: (laughs) Absolutely.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Was was your family a musical?
3: My mother was the, mu- was the real musical aficionado of the family, but she was so modest about it, you'd never know. She okay, yeah. had piano lessons as a kid and uh, was the type of person who uh, would enjoy listening to other people more and analyzing other people's characters and talents more than being preoccupied with herself. She was a real people person. And, but one summer, I heard her concentrate on one composition, a Chopin composition. And yeah. uh, she worked on that for the whole summer, and by the time she got it down, she played it with a musicality that I, it could rival anybody. Really? Yeah, but she had no ambition whatsoever. She was a crackerjack uh, School teacher mainly with kindergarten and later in life she took up teaching disturbed children and she got results with them that had the the psychiatrist with the masters and doctorates dropping their jaws in
0: amazement. Wow that's incredible.
3: Yeah she was an incredible woman.
0: And you you did you grow up where did you grow up in the city?
3: Los Angeles, Highland Park, Los Angeles. That was Los Angeles. Highland Park, Los Angeles. It was a a little hole in the wall in between Eagle Rock and Pasadena and downtown L.A. and East L.A. And uh, it was almost like growing up in Ohio or something. Really? With with hills that were uh, – our house was at the end of a – where the concrete road stopped and a dirt road began. Yeah, and wow. My, and, and my sister wrote a book about it, which was hilarious. It was a, uh, a uh, what do you call it? A memoir. Yeah. yeah. And she had some caricatures of my father in it that had me laughing hysterically. He was kind of a tortured soul, but a very brilliant man and uh, very, very funny. Sometimes when he was at his, unfortunately, sometimes when he was at his most tortured, he was funniest. But my brother Alan, he was a folk singer early in his life.
4: Really? He used to go out on
3: bookings. Yeah, he used to go out on bookings with a guitar and make a little change and sing a. The fox went out on a chilly night. He prayed for the moon to give him light. Many a mile, I'll go tonight before I reach the town. Oh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, he
2: was, a, he was in a couple of groups before he discovered that acting thing.
3: Yeah. Well, he didn't discover it after those groups. He That was always his first love from the age of infancy. Okay. But but uh the i think the folk singing thing was kind of a detour like i can't blame him for not liking life on the road uh, yeah. but oh, sure. uh, it took me it took me uh, a long time before i realized that i didn't like life on the road but he he knew early and he knew that he was basically interested in acting and uh, even when he was uh, going through the musical thing, he would uh, be very focused on the audience reaction.
2: He's had a couple he of had hits.
3: This, yeah, he had this hit song, but when they were okay. going around to various uh, dives and uh, playing uh, their repertoire that they worked on, and people would scream, uh, play, the ba- play the banana boat and get off the stage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those he were the days. days. He got very disillusioned.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, you
3: know. the,
2: the acting career has served him well. Not that we really want to focus on that. But, you know, he, he's won an Oscar and been nominated for a couple of other
3: ones. Yeah. Yeah, he's done very well. Yeah, so He so realized you never, his childhood dream. Good. Yeah. yeah. But he was, amu- he was involved in music. Yeah. I don't know
6: if, yeah, I guess these are off. Up
3: more,
4: please. Up
6: more, Bill. Six louder, please. Six louder.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Arlo Guthrie.
6: From London, from over the pole, flying in a big airliner, a hot chicken fly everywhere around the plane. Could we ever feel much finer coming into Los Angeles, bringing in a couple of keys? Don't touch my bags, if you please, Mister Customs man. Get to Mexico No, it couldn't look much stranger Walking in a hall with his things and all Smiling said it was a lone ranger Coming into Los Angeles Bringing in a couple of keys Don't touch my bags if you please Mr. Customs man Mr. Customs Man Coming in from London from over Touch my bags, if you please,
2: Mr. Customs Man. You mentioned your sister's book. What's the name of it, in case anybody wants to track it down?
3: If I remember correctly, it was uh, Coringa Drive. Okay. Because... uh, I think she devoted a few pages to the word Karinga, which I'd never thought about. You know, I just thought we live on Karinga Drive, but she started wondering where did that word come from? I, she'd never heard it before other than on the drive of our street.
2: Right. And, yeah. Uh,
3: I think one of the few references she found to it was a South American demon. Well
2: wow. Huh. I've kind of, I've, uh, Climb down rabbit holes like that too. I was driving over the Throgs Neck Bridge once, and I said, "What is a throg? Why does it have a neck, and why is it so darn important?" <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and, and and I found out the that what section of the city? Bronx was owned by John Throckmorton or John Throgsmorton.
4: Huh. You know, Throgmorton, you, yeah.
2: right? And that's funny. And the neck is. A little piece of land that juts out in the water. They call it a neck. So they called that section where they decide to build the bridge, Throg's Neck. Huh.
3: That's very interesting. You reminded me of something I heard once with that story. There was a a Charlie Parker tune called Throckmorton the Plumber, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You've heard it? I never heard it. No. I have, yes.
1: I have. You have. Amazing. Yeah, interesting title, I must say. <laughs> well, we may uh,
2: we that may be one of the few Woodstock non Woodstock cuts that makes it into the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: oh, it
3: well. Well, well, I heard that some of his titles were just stuck on there by uh, recording engineers who did it for him.
0: Why not? Because yeah.
3: they could have
0: some odd reason. Yeah. yeah, I I think that's
1: probably true in this case. That happened all the time in jazz. Now, Bob, you were saying you started out with the accordion, playing the accordion, and then the cello, and then you moved or gravitated, I guess, to the bongos and then the guitar, right? Yes. And I studied I- the bass in, in sixth grade. Oh, wow. For about
3: six months, they had—I think—they had a base in the grammar schools. It, the schools were so, so, so advanced compared to what the, the way things are now. But then I switched to cello. Oh yeah! I managed to learn bass clefs. Oh. And uh, the first blues I ever learned. The first person who explained the blues changes to me was—I was—it was on the cello. And a guy by the name of Jack Jackson, who was a local aspiring composer in one of our extended family,
4: yeah.
3: taught huh. it to me. And uh, then I, I learned Freddie Green changes from my brother on the guitar when he came back for a visit from the East where he went to college. And I remember improvising on the guitar while he uh, played chords and improvising yeah. lines against, against, against those chords. And it was really a, a, a moment that lit something in my brain that I wasn't even aware of how intense it was. Wow. But, but uh, I couldn't really understand where those chords were coming from. Even to this day, I find there's something, something mysterious, inherently mysterious about chords in general but I feel them mm.
4: and
3: and, uh, I can define them up to a point, but they get to a level where piano players can be having arguments about what you should really call them. Yes. Right. Well, you don't have to worry
2: about that with the bass.
3: (laughs) Well, that's, that's, uh, it's the bass is one of the chords are an element of harmony,
4: Mm -hmm. but
3: there was a, the, there was a harmony teacher who who uh, made the observation that really all of harmony isn't contained within just the melody and the bass line. And really, when you talk about chord progressions, on a certain level you're really talking about bass lines. Both yeah. chord progressions yeah. evolve in harmony with bass lines. So To play jazz, you have to have some kind of awareness of chords even if you're playing a linear instrument. Right. And uh, 90% of what I learned I learned about I learned behind as a result of playing behind chord players. Yes. Like piano players and guitar players. And Mm. to be able to To interpret what the proper bass line is in relation to a chord is basically the name of the game when you're playing bass. Uh, Aside from being a timekeeper, which is another mysterious thing, which there are very many ways to approach the philosophy behind that. And
4: Mm -hmm.
3: that was another moment that lit up in my brain the first time I locked in with a drummer while I was playing bass that influenced me in a way that will never change it was just like a, an, a, an awakening I guess you'd say Yeah, it yeah. was uh, a life changing experience and maybe not for the better
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> lots to be debated yeah Yeah, Yeah, you can debate that, yeah. So,
2: what brought you to jazz?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the fact that I was listening to it all my life is one thing. Okay. Uh, I listened to, I was surrounded by folk singers all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. People were always singing those corny tunes on the guitar uh, and accompanying themselves on the guitar and it was Very tasty and very entertaining in a way, but there was no conversation happening, really. You know, they were soloists, and they did their own trick, and it wasn't a, but when my Uncle Earl, the composer, came over, and I'd fall asleep, and he and the extended family were all gathering around the piano and singing tunes, and they'd sing tunes like uh, songs from the uh, resistance uh, of the in the Spanish Civil War, and they go wow. through the fireside book of folk songs, and songs of resistance from World War Two, from the Eastern Europe, and art songs, and he could accompany anything that anybody sang. Sure. And I'd go to sleep listening to that, and he played with a loose ragtime kind of feeling, even though he was a composer. He could have been a jazz piano player if he wanted to go that route. He did it on one of his albums. He did a duet with Dooley Wilson, the guy who played, uh, 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 what's that called again? And, no, no, no. Oh, time goes by. Time goes by. The guy who sang that in that movie, he did a duet with them on a record called "The Free and Equal Blues." Wow! It, a, it was a little hokey, but it had a real nice, loose, rhythmic feeling to it. Sure. And uh, uh, I, I, uh, I had a curiosity about music, but it, if I had been disciplined enough to be really, uh studious about music, I probably would have chosen to be a composer. But being just somebody who had a knack for improvisation, I thought by playing jazz, that was a way I could learn about things, about music without cracking a book. And I was about 80% right, maybe, but every once in a while I have to crack a book to be able to hear what's going on a little bit more closely. Sure. So I, 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 I originally wanted to be an art teacher like my father. He was an art teacher, and I thought, I'm not a musician, I'm not a performer like my brother, I'm just a dreamer. You know, I like to draw, I like to paint, and I yeah. can play a little bit, but I never thought of myself as a musician. But uh, I, when I tried to become an art teacher, the academic environment started driving me crazy at los angeles city college and uh I, I gravitated towards the dance band where a lot of really excellent players were les mccann would have had been there the year before sure. and uh ornette coleman i played there i think and uh it was such a a awakening another awakening working in that band and uh i started getting jobs once i started getting my sea legs a bit so to speak and uh i i left on the road with a band and because the academic environment was driving me crazy for a lot of reasons that i didn't understand at the time but music was very soothing, and I was actually getting paid to soothe myself, you know, so I, sure. I couldn't help going with it. And I managed to become somewhat functional uh, as a uh, kind of uh, very mediocre student, and people didn't think of me as a go-getter or anything, but I managed to at least make some money doing something that I liked. And Yeah. It led to a long road of playing a lot of jobs that really weren't much of a career, but I managed to keep growing and learning about my craft. And um, there's a part of me that that feels like that's the main thing that I should be concerned about, even though I've had to scuffle a lot.
2: But you have had some successes. I mean, you did. I mean, the probably the most the thing that well, the reason we're talking to you is you did play with Arlo Guthrie for a spell, among others.
3: Yeah, that's very ironic because musically speaking, it was a, a it was a low point in my life. But he helped me escape from California, and I okay. owe him a debt of gratitude for that because. I still look back at California as the epicenter of the prison industrial complex. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
4: It's got a lot of competition
3: in that respect. Mm -hmm. But uh, there was, uh, by the time I, I was fired from his job after two years, I had to totally relearn how to play from the beginning all over again. I, the first job I got that was steady after that was with Lee Konitz of all people. I, I was making oh, wow. $5 a night at a club that was empty. I think it was kind of a front for the <laughs> mafia and I was yeah. scuffling <laughs> like crazy. You know, I, by that time I might've been playing for 10 years and I felt like I was just beginning all over again. Sure. And, okay. uh, you know, so in a way, if I say I've been playing for 60 <laughs> years, it's more like 50 years from the time I worked that job of Lee Konitz. And it's uh, it's been a revelation in in terms of uh, what helped me uh, figure out where the harmony was coming from. When I was in Los Angeles City College, somebody gave me a a recommendation to have a few lessons with a local arranger by the name of Dave Robertson. Mm. And he gave me lessons in keyboard harmony, and for the first time in my life, I learned what intervals were. And ah, intervals yes. are the building blocks of harmony. So Absolutely. I was just totally playing like by intuition, completely up to that point. And and uh, I had an instinct for knowing how to play within the chord, but in terms of hearing. The root of the chord that took a lot of training and discipline to to know when you 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 have to play the root and when you have to play the fifth and when those rare times when you double the passing tones and uh, etc sure. etc cetera, et cetera. and it's been it's been uh, behind many many different piano players that I learned those things and then Wayne Smith a player that I did a a, a demo with. Of uh, six tunes I wrote, uh, he taught me the modes. He was—he's a, a great player, and the modes are were another important step in terms of understanding harmony because they 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 delineate the relationship between lines and chords like nothing else. The, the feeling that scale. Is just a chord by another name, and a chord is just a scale by another name.
1: Yeah, right. And,
3: uh, the the two are interchangeable. The, this is the most
2: musical we've gotten as far as nuts and bolts of uh, composition and theory.
0: Yeah, this is great.
2: Well, well I, yeah, Scott, Scott is a musician. I, am. I
4: that
2: is true. I, I took theory and majored in music
3: in college really. for a little bit yeah and scott, scott you both know about harmony then so we um, we to do the choir
2: Co- correct we yeah. choir but, but but johnny and i are alike in that we both can play the radio
1: yes
3: <laughs> boy there's uh, some people making big money doing that these days. Yeah. Sure is. Well,
2: not on the radio anymore, but yeah. yeah, people do that.
1: I can play the fool better than anything and I don't get paid for that. <laughs> well, <laughs>
2: but but yeah. we we, appre- we appreciate the uh musical education. Absolutely.
1: Big time. Well, I,
3: I, I'm just somebody who knows a, a little bit about about how to uh systematize what you hear in your ear more be, because mm-hmm. that's what that's for years that's all i knew is what i heard in my ear
6: sure
1: right who else's ear would i hear it in yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> so so you were talking about arlo save you that got you out of california how how did that come about
3: well, I got in big trouble in California. When I arrived, I was on probation. Really? I had to get permission from the probation officer because I nearly did three years for getting caught with some weed. Oh, God. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, God. I, those were the days, I, boy. Yeah. I got sick. Were,
2: were the, I got were sick Those weren't the days.
3: Yeah. I got, I got a, a woman knocked up. I got sick. I, I I got busted, everything hit me all at once and I had to return to my parents to recuperate. Yeah. And my father, who is a brilliant poet, al- allowed me to earn my keep while I was staying there by putting music to a lot of his lyrics. Yeah. Were they, and, were they were they and, still
2: in Los Angeles? Were they still in California
4: at that time? Yeah, they were. Yeah, I to-
3: hadn't left California yet. This all happened okay. when I was living at Santa Monica Beach. And playing okay. in a local bar called the Riptide. And did oh. I ever get caught up in that <laughs> Riptide? Yeah. But, it
2: sounds but, like you uh, had a terrible, terrible time of things there.
3: Oh, boy. Yeah. Ter- terrible, terrible. I owe a debt of gratitude to my sister because one day I complained to her, I'm having trouble jumping through all the hoops I got to go through to get through this trouble. And she said to me, just keep on jumping. Yeah. And, uh, I managed to, I managed to, uh, get out of California because, uh, my father and I made a demo of, uh, the tunes that I wrote. I wrote about a nine tunes for him that summer and Alan's, uh, agent manager, Harold Leventhal dropped by and we played the demo for him trying to sell the tunes. And, uh, he, uh had no interest in the tunes whatsoever. You know, I think huh. at that time people felt if it isn't the Rolling Stones, who needs it? Yeah. And so, so, uh, but he did hire me to become Arlo's bass player. So I escaped from California and went on the road with Arlo and got a chance what, to play with Paul Modian for a couple of months.
4: Yeah. As a result. yeah.
3: And about what year was this? Do you recall? I think it's sixty-six or sixty-seven, something like that. Mm -hmm. Paul
2: Paul Modian was uh, Arlo's drummer at Woodstock, and it's interesting how he he, was there
3: at Woodstock.
2: So that had so it had so if it's only for a few months, it had to be sixty-nine.
3: Right. Yeah. When he left, I felt like the rug was getting pulled out from me, because he really made it fun to work in that band. Which is a bad reflection on me because you know you shouldn't look to other. That was my one lesson from that whole experience: was don't look to other people for your inspiration. Find yeah. it within yourself.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but
2: it's but it is interesting also how a uh, folk singer had two j- had two jazz cats as uh, his rhythm section.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, part of the reason was. Uh, well, if he had gotten a rock and roll, he was playing acoustic guitar. Right. So a rock and roll drummer would have just drowned him. It would have been, you know, like uh, trying to uh, read a book in a library with a, uh, a riveting machine outside the window or something. Hmm. So it made a lot of sense. But he asked me to recommend a drummer, and I, I had been listening to Paul on records for a long time and so that was the first name that that i thought of and he liked the way he sounded uh, I, I i must say i can't it was probably just basic common sense for him to like that because paul was an extremely tasty drummer and arlo was playing an acoustic guitar so it was the, the most natural choice that he could make regardless and uh Paul would adjust to whatever kind of situation he was in, you know, so if he had to play just simple time, well, he was basically just doing that with the Bill Evans quartet too. Sure. But all right. but uh, all hell was breaking loose around him while that was happening. Uh, not so much volume wise, but contrapuntally. Yeah.
1: yeah.
4: Now the, guitarist,
1: the guitarist, John Pila, how did he, How did you, I mean, how did he, was he with Arlo or or he came later? He got brought
3: into the group uh, later for some reason. What reason? I don't know. But it didn't really, it wasn't really necessary. It was like he wanted a bigger sound or what. I never talked to him about it. Of course, I never really talked to him about much of anything.
4: Yeah.
2: According to Arlo, John Pillow was uh, Arlo's best friend.
3: Oh, now he tells me.
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> I, met, I met Arlo about, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, and asked him about his backing band at Woodstock. And he's like, well, John was my best friend.
3: I don't think I am, to tell the truth.
2: I <laughs> I think you'd, you would know if you were.
3: Yes. Well, when I got fired, I, I asked a friend, uh, you think that was the reason I got fired and his answer was people who've gotten murdered for less. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so, you know, I'm grateful that he let me live. That's all.
4: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so how long were you with him approximately, Arlo?
3: Approximately 2
1: years. Oh, okay.
3: I remember Harold Leventhal, this manager telling me, "Well, Arlo's gonna let you go. I don't think he should, but that's his problem, <laughs> oh. but actually, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because if if it hadn't, I wouldn't know how to play anything other than bump bump, 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 bump,, but up, but up, bump, bump." I would feel envious of how bass players and polka bands had so much freedom. <laughs> <laughs> but actually the fact, that, the fact that he wasn't playing an, an electric guitar, that he was playing an acoustic guitar that didn't hurt my ears, at that time of history, or any time of history since then, is, is really a, a blessing. I looked at that as a great blessing in itself until I started feeling like a jail musically. Yeah. And I guess people are never happy. Looking back, it was great good fortune that I could escape California, but you're never happy no matter what. Like, you you always want more. No matter how much good fortune you've had, you always want more. You ungrateful swine, Robert.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it that really reminds me of my chant. Yeah. Like uh, it's funny because you guys were...
0: Oh, I'm sorry, Bob. You guys no, were No sweat. Go ahead. I didn't mean oh. to interrupt. Oh no, it's okay. Um you guys were more or less playing the same songs all the time, right? For a couple of years Yeah. Probably. Yeah, even yeah. if I
3: even if they were tunes I'd written, I'd still get tired of that. Sure. Totally understandable. Like, uh, yeah, it's or at least if it's the same song over and over, at least do it in a different way.
4: Yeah, right. yeah.
3: But that never happened. It was an act, you know. It was a show band. Like uh, you learn the trick, you do the trick like a trained animal, and you get paid, and that's that.
2: Yeah. Well, that's one thing about that uh, popular music doesn't have that jazz does there's not there, in jazz there's a lot more improvisation and mm-hmm. it's very that is such a profound
3: statement i'm sorry yeah that is such a profound statement i couldn't agree more you know yeah that's that's the, that that's the different that's the difference yeah a, a dialogue but you know it must be reflective of the state of affairs in general, in some sense, because that's exactly what's lacking in this country at this time: people's ability to have a sense of dialogue.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's tragic, really, if you think about it.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I, I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, dwell in self-pity too
6: much. Yeah, it's far out, man. I don't know if you—I don't know, uh, like how many of you can dig how many people there are, man. Like I was rapping to the fuzz. <laughs> All right, can you dig it, man? there's supposed to be a million and a half people here by tonight. Can you dig that? New York State Thruway is closed, man. <laughs> yeah, a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. lot of freaks. <laughs> <laughs> Far out. Uh, we got drunk. <laughs> it's alright, I guess it's as good as being wet, you know. Rolling, wheeling, like I'm feeling. Everything gonna carry on. You go your way, i go my way, we will come and so be gone. Wheel of fortune turned for me, now turn to trouble in the west. Wheels of completion rolling, wait to put my mind at rest. Rolling, wheeling like I'm feeling, everything gonna carry on. You go your way, I go my way, we will come and so be gone. Hey Ezekiel, you can leave now, you got to go for the stay so long while your wheels just keep turning. Turn to rhythm, right and wrong Rolling, wheeling, like I'm feeling Everything gonna carry on You go your way, I'll go my way We will come and so be gone Wheel of fortune, turn for me, now turn trouble in the west, wheels of completion rolling, wait to put my mind at rest, I said wait to put my mind at rest, wait to put my, to put my mind, put my mind at rest, come and put my mind at rest, uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: Now, Bob, if you could tell us about something about your cat Russo. That story. Russo. Yeah, the significance of Russo. How how mm-hmm. that oh, in in
3: that documentary, the yes. Allen yes.
1: films. Right, right.
3: Yeah, well, I, I that was something that was very much related to the Buddhist philosophy that was being talked about in meetings at that time that isn't being talked about so much lately. Right, sure. Uh, There there were a lot of philosophical concepts that mystified me that they don't pay much attention to lately somehow. But in any case, the concept was that he was one of the Shoten Zenjin, which is a Japanese word for the Buddhist gods that protect you. But it was made very clear to me that the Buddhist gods wasn't a magical kind of concept. It was a cause and effect relationship. So mm. whoever protected you as a result of your practicing Buddhism, they were automatically one of the Buddhist gods. Yeah. Uh, and and R- R- Rousseau protected me by catching a mouse when oh, when yes. there were a lot of mice in this place I was living at at the time. And wow. I think I magnified it up to the point of being a rat when I was interviewed for that that uh inter- that documentary but yeah. I think it was probably sure. just a mouse. Wow. But, uh, so that made Rousseau one of the Shoten's engine. I think uh, it was uh I think the significance of it at the time was that I had been chanting for a solution to the problem, and then I found Rousseau. Yeah. Yes. yes. And, and uh, the chant is nam Yoho renge kyo a rough translation is dedication to the mystical sound of the law of cause and effect. And the more you chant it, the more you start getting the feeling that the relationship between cause and effect is a lot more mystical than you ever might have guessed.
4: Yep.
3: I think it might be in consistent with the feeling of that poem, The Best Laid Plans of Mice and Men, speaking of mice.
7: Yes.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting story about I'm gl- your cat.
3: I'm so yeah. glad. I'm so glad because I was criticized roundly by a friend for including that in the documentary.
1: Really? Oh
0: wow. Yes
3: why that yeah,
1: yeah
0: that's interesting
3: well, I think that I think the 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 attitude was that uh you should be sticking to your career. what career <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: anyway, I was experiencing the zealotry of a recent convert at that time,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, it's Even your documentary, though, you should be able to say whatever you want in there. it's your documentary, yeah. It was
3: a very spontaneous thing, too. You know, I I wasn't given a script. But as far as your friend
2: is concerned, just remember that opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one they all smell.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. I like that. I have to tell you a joke. Please. Are either of you Irish?
2: No. No.
3: I have to tell it in an irish accent because i heard it from a very bigoted english piano player and that's just how i remember it (laughs) go Go for it yeah go Uh, we're Uh, we're good uh, i'll I'll give apologies to my late uncle sam kennedy in the process yeah Uh, (laughs) uh timothy o'dwyer met James O'Toole at the pub and he said, how are you doing? How are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? Have you seen Clancy lately? No, I haven't seen him. He died, you know. Oh, he died. <laughs> what did he die of? Oh, nothing serious. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to have some Irish people offended.
0: No, no not no. at all.
3: Nope. No, You'd be surprised when get away with on this show.
0: Oh that's good.
3: I'm glad to hear that. Well
2: (laughs) no matter no matter who is offended, we'll still have you back.
3: Absolutely. Oh thank you so much. Yeah. I'll have your back as well. Yay. Yay. Yeah, well speaking of Irishmen getting offended, uh, I I just saw the West Side story. Ah yes. Yeah. Oh the new one? The new one. Yeah. Yeah, and it was really terrific. I was I have, surprised oh, really. by how much I, I enjoyed it. I knew the music was good. Yeah, but sure. the acting and the dancing and the embellishments to the story and the arrangements were unbelievable.
2: I'll have to check it. The, uh, the 1961 version is one of my favorite movies. So I'll have to uh, oh, check it
3: Oh, very out. interesting. Then you you yeah. might like this one even more. Except the soundtrack was so damn loud. Oh, that's across. every movie now. That's every movie now. They didn't need to yeah. do that. It it would have been better without that, you know. Uh, I had to sit there with my hands over my ears while I was crying from the fucking plot. Oh, you'll have to strike that from the record. No, no, no don't I, worry. No, no, we're
4: fine. <laughs> curse on the...
3: Really? Yeah, you
0: can oh, use
2: those yeah. type of words on the podcast.
0: Oh my God! Oh, yeah, absolutely. Out of the three of us, I'm more likely to curse than anybody else. But- oh, <laughs> go
3: to oh, yourself, really? Scott. Yeah, <laughs> I like cursing as long as you do it. As, as long as you do it in a mellow way.
1: So. Yes, <laughs> we've heard just about everything that could be possibly said on this podcast. You're oh, not that's going right. You're not going to surprise us, trust me. Oh, good. Especially when we case, talk I have about the joke.
2: Woodstock Festival. All kinds of what? stuff went on there. Yeah.
3: If you see my sweetheart with somebody new, keep it a secret, let him catch it too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome.
3: <laughs> yes. that's a cat, That wasn't a Woodstock joke. That was a Catskills joke
1: yeah (laughs) yeah so what once you once you once you were uh you were no longer working with arlo where what happened after that that must have been around what 70 or so well I, i spent a few years floundering and
3: uh working sporadically living in the apartment of a girlfriend Mm. Was kind of tolerating me, and uh, I said, I, I, "Nothing was happening." One day, I didn't have anything. I sat down on a park bench, and for the first time in my life, I chanted that chant for an hour.
4: Sure, right. and I,
3: I felt high afterwards, and then I forgot about it, and I I left that situation, and I I moved in with somebody who put up with me for a while, and I was walking down Broadway on a very snowy night, carrying my bass, I don't remember from where, and somebody approached me, a saxophone player, by the name of Rick Steinberg, and he said, hey, you're looking for work? I guess he could sense that. And yeah. I said, yeah. He said, here, here, I'll give you the name of an agent. He needs people for the Catskills. Huh. So that led to my working in the Catskills on and off, in and out of town for about 15 years. Wow. And you, and you, you had moved was, to New York
2: at this, by this point, correct?
3: I had moved to New York, yes. That was after I got fired from Arlo. Okay. I was it, living it just, in New York. Yeah, my, my New York was my home base while I was on the road with Arlo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, but the Catskills saved me. I got three meals a day and 150 a week. I think the, the 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 agent was getting filthy rich from stealing everybody's money, but I I wasn't concerned with that. I got to play, and I got, I got to survive.
4: Yeah,
0: and, as uh, would be typically the case with agents. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah
3: I, I'm not surprised to hear
0: that. Yet. No. Then I so, that
3: ended. Yeah, I, he dropped me when I insisted on making a job in the city in which. One night I I sent in a sub, but he hated people sending in subs, he didn't want to deal with that. But the castles were drying up anyway at that time, right? This this job at Jackie Byard on piano, the late great Jackie Byard, and at least I managed to work with him one night. That it was quite an experience, it was really a great musical experience, and uh, but then. Then I was back in New York, floundering again. Some Somebody uh, got me a job in uh, Germany, of all places, going on the road, playing concerts at beer halls for a couple of months. Then I came back, I was still floundering. Then I got approached by somebody who was a leader of a street band. And yeah. I was really frustrated not playing enough and... Uh, I had a chance, uh, he started showing me the ropes in the street band business, and I ma- I did that for about another 10 or 15 years, and uh, got to play a lot of bebop tunes that I hadn't been able to play in most of the rest of my job, certainly not in the Catskills. That was all vaudeville yeah. and swing, but, but uh, nobody knew any standards, hardly. Nobody knew any... Uh, show tunes or anything like that but nevertheless it was nice to be able to play those bebop tunes which i didn't get a chance to play for a long time and yeah i think i was making more money than than ever before because when you got a private party when somebody liked the band and heard it there was no middleman when when you got paid so i was making some pretty good money but the The working conditions were starting to get to me, I think. And uh, I got picked up by this clarinet player, Saul Yegud, when I was working, yeah. working at this club in the West Village. And I ended up working with him for another 10 or 15 years. Uh, and he was a piece of work, but it was steady and it was fairly decent money. And uh, the same guy was the manager of the club who was managing another place where I was working uh, this uh, past two springs and summers. So uh, I got fired just in time to make this interview. I think he wants the band back again in the spring. Yeah. All
2: right, well, well... This interview should end by the spring, so you can uh, (laughs) go back on the
6: I don't know what it's like, you know, like to get, uh, shut up, man. I don't know what it's like to get like a lot of like, you know, it's far out, man. All these people, you know, you can, I don't know what it's going to be like to get everybody to, uh, to sing this song with us. We're gonna do a Bobby Dylan tune, man. All right, and uh, maybe you'll do it with us. You know, maybe you won't. That's groovy. <laughs> I'm a walking down the line, a walking down the line, a walking down the line. My feet will be flying to tell you about my troubled mind. You should sing that, but try it. I'm a walking down the line, a walking down the line, a walking down the line i be flying. fly any about my troubled mind that, You know, that's... Wait a second, that's not where it's at, man. I mean, like, there's a lot of people here, man. And obviously, you're not walking down a line. Huh. Huh. I mean, you know... Hey, when he wrote it, man, he probably wasn't walking down a line. You know? But you should sing it because sometimes, like, you might be walking down. I mean, like if, you know, an earthquake hits California, man, and all the, all the electricity goes and there's no more gasoline, you'll have to walk, you know, to wherever you're going. You might, you know, want to sing that song. Huh. You might not. You might want to stay at home. But you could sing it staying at home, too, man. We'll do it again. I'm a walking down the line, a walking down the line, that's it, a walking down the line, my feet will be flying to tell you about my troubled mind. Got a heavy-headed gal, got a heavy-headed gal, I got a heavy-headed gal, ain't feeling too well, she gets better only time can tell. I'm a walking down the line, a walking down the line. Walking down the line, feet to be flying, and tell you about my troubled mind. Seen the morning light, I seen the morning light, and it ain't because I'm an early riser, or didn't get to sleep last night. I'm a walking down the line, a walking down the line, walking down the line, feet to be flying, and tell you about my troubled mind got my walking shoes. I got my walking shoes. I got my walking shoes. I ain't you gone to lose? I believe I got to walk in blues. Cause I'm walking down the line. I'm walking down the line. I'm walking down the line. My feet are be flying. And tell you about my troubled mind. My money comes in gold. My money comes and goes, my money comes and goes, rolls and flows, rolls and flows to the holes in the bottom of my clothes. And I'm walking down the line, walking down the line, I'm walking down the line, I to be flying, tell you about my troubled mind, I'm walking down the line, walking down the line. Feet to be flying one more time. I'm a walking down the line. Walking down the line. Walking down the line. Feet to be flying and tell you about my troubled mind.
1: Now, when you said you were working with Saul, was that at that place, how do you pronounce it, Grotta or Greta? That was uh, after Il Valentino.
3: First, it was uh, it was uh, La, Cucha Sta- La-, La Cucina Stagional, and hmm. then it was uh, Il Valentino's for about 10 years, and then yeah. Grotta came after that.
1: Grotta, Okay
3: and and then uh the place i was working with them last spring and uh the s- last two springs and summers were well that wasn't Saul that was with a singer by the name of Sandy Jordan and a guitar player by the name of Mark Capon i was working with her with a guitar player named uh Larry Luger also in a different club called Broadway Joes but this yeah. the name of this place was the uh Tudor City Steakhouse. Yeah, yeah, so you told me that. Yeah, he had a lot of different places under a lot of different names that I worked. Apparently, <laughs> I worked at, with him at, at a, what do they call it? Sweet. Sweet Rhythm or Sweet... Sweet Rhythm, yeah.
0: I used to love Sweet Rhythm. Absolutely love that place. It
3: was a different name before that when I worked there. I worked there with my cousin, Perry Robinson, the clarinet player. This guy was the manager. Perry Robinson
2: was your cousin? Yeah. He was very good friends with Maruga Booker, who played... Oh, Maruga, I remember that name. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, he played at Woodstock, too? Yeah, with Tim Not
2: Perry, but... Maruga Booker did. Maruga,
1: yeah, he did. Really, I didn't know that. He yeah, he, he was, was known as he was known as Steve Booker then, but he changed oh. his to Maruga. Yeah. Oh well, I yeah. He changed to
2: that Woodstock, but he was very yeah. good friends with Perry for a long time.
3: Yeah, well, I worked Perry a lot
2: died. of
1: jazz.
3: I worked a lot of jazz clubs in Manhattan with Perry, and that kept me going for a while t- till I got to the Catskills. Yeah, he's not, he's no longer living now. Perry. No, he's he passed not. He went a while ago. But oh, I right. was a manager uh, on one of those clubs, uh, Mirso Lake. Yeah.
1: And this was so, in New York,
3: the city? New York, yeah. I, since I left California, it's been New York all the way, except for a few tours I had on the road. Uh, uh, or maybe I, I must. I might have just been on the road out of New York once, uh, really. It's hard, hard to say. Uh, uh, except for Arlo. I was on the road yeah. with him around.
1: Sure. sure. Now you, you also performed at the University of the Streets in New York also, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah, I was the house bassist there for the yeah. open mic for singers and for the jam session with Instrumentalists afterwards, and yeah. putting in six hours a night quite often. Wow! And uh, I would be carrying my bass home on my hands and knees after that one.
1: Yeah, because when I met you at Cleopatra's Needle back in '07, I was telling Jack this before we, you know, before you got on with us. I was in the in the place waiting on you. And I saw this guy with this huge thing on his back walking. I'm like, what in the world? And I went, oh, that's Bob Arkin. You had that thing on your back and you're walking it. That had to be awkward. You well, it feels it.
3: like hard work these days. It didn't yeah. used to when I was younger.
1: Yeah, that I'm thinking that's an exercise in itself, carrying that upright base on your back up the street yeah, in New York City. Slipping,
2: slipping that around town. Something makes you want to think, maybe I should have picked the violin.
1: Yeah.
3: I hear that crack a lot. Oh, I've heard that so many times, (laughs) that line. But it's interchangeable with the piccolo, also.
1: Yeah, it's true, too. Because I didn't know that. I use
3: a wheel now.
1: Oh, okay.
3: Yeah. But that can have its pitfalls as well.
1: I'm sure. Did you did you have to carry that a long way when you were at Cleopatra's? Or you?
3: No, the 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 only trouble with carrying it to get to a place like Cleopatra's was getting it up and down stairs in the subway. Yeah. Huh. But the, the Tudor City Steakhouse is a pain in the ass to get to. Excuse me. Hmm. Uh, That's okay. Yeah. No, a I lot of pretty... times you get out of the subway, you got to carry it fairly long, but. Well, uh, I usually, usually a subway or a bus or a cab or, yeah, ironically the the most carrying walking I did carrying it recently was a, a job in the neighborhood. I did a street hit with a very good singer by the name of Susan Kramer and mm. uh, she was paying us to play in the street and she was keeping the, the tips and she was filming it and putting it on Facebook and, uh, huh. Uh, like that was down on uh on uh Second avenue and uh tenth Street, and that's not really so far, but i it would it would be five block walk that wasn't so bad yeah. right but, well it depends if it's avenue blocks or street blocks avenue blocks are a bitch yeah, yeah, the avenue blocks are much worse the street blocks are better B- but uh, At the age of 79, carrying that thing is getting old. I I used to, I once borrowed one from Eagle Rock across the hill from where I lived, and I would carry it over this hill about a mile, a heavy plywood base. But Just the thought of doing that at my present age is just, I could go to sleep from exhaustion thinking (laughs) about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Paper appealing
0: that's our show keep the dream flowing a woodstock 1969 podcast was produced and edited by scott parker your hosts were jack Lakensky, johnny hudson and scott parker keep the dream flowing a woodstock 1969 podcast has a facebook page where you can catch up on all the latest woodstock hullabaloo keep the dream flowing a woodstock 1969 podcast is not affiliated in any way with Woodstock Ventures or any of its individual partners or entities. On behalf of Jack Lekensky and Johnny Hudson, this is Scott Parker saying thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.